It comes from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, beginning with verse 8. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. O God, in these few moments, may these few words of your holy scripture come alive for us to give us some wisdom about how we might live our lives today. So speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. You know, signs can be misinterpreted. And I want to play for you a little video that really is a recording of a, it's an audio recording of a woman who saw a sign and she called in to a radio talk show. Let's listen to their conversation. Now, Donna, you got quite the vent today. It sounds like what's going on with you. Well, I wanted to voice my opinion on something that's been bothering me for a really long time. Okay. Um, I, I tried writing the newspaper and contacting uh, TV stations, but nobody seems to want to stay with this. So that's why I'm calling you guys. Okay, what's, the, um, what's the issue? Well, <clears throat> over the past few years, I've been involved in three separate car accidents involving deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the population and everything. Um, each of these incidents, they've occurred shortly after I saw a deer crossing sign on the highway. Well, my frustration is that Minnesota and North Dakota Departments of Transportation would allow these deer crossings to be in such high traffic areas. I mean, I've even seen them on the interstate. Why are we mm-hmm. encouraging deer to cross? at the interstate. I don't get it, that's such a high traffic area. I mean, you, you know, kidding? I understand that deer are wild animals and they need to travel across the streets occasionally to survive and you know, of course to find food, but um, it seems to me that so irresponsible of us 
to allow these deer crossings to be in areas where these deer are so likely to be struck by oncoming traffic. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Um. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, you think they would put deer crossings maybe, you know, in, you know, smaller towns, maybe during a, like at a, at a school crossing. That's, it would be a safer place for them to, to cross. Wait. You know, put the deer crossing sign. You know, deer crossings aren't telling deer that it's safe to cross there. It's just more of like an alert for drivers so they know it's like a high deer population. The government put the deer crossings there. They can direct the deer population anywhere they want to by moving that deer crossing sign. I mean, you know, why in the world would they place it on the highway or the interstate? Well, listen, we will, um, yeah, I mean, you say you've tried to contact quite a few people about this. Right, yeah, I, I wrote like at least three or four letters. and We you know, will tried. spread the word, okay? We will try to kind of help you raise some awareness for this issue, okay? Oh, thank you. We need to move those deer crossing signs. We appreciate your comment this morning. All right, thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, need I say more? I don't know if you know the comedian Jeff Foxworthy, but he has this phrase, here's your sign, here's your sign. Well, signs obviously come in all kinds, all kinds of sizes, shapes, purposes. Some of them give direction. They say, stop, you know, or wrong way, one way. Some give information like bump ahead or deer crossing. Some tell us that there are icy conditions on the road, that children are playing, so slow down. They can also tell us who we are and, you know, where you might be able to find us, where we are, in other words. They can give us identity, like golden arches. You see the golden arches, you think, think of McDonald's, or if you see the cross in flame, you might think of the United Methodist Church. Signs can also be other than man-made. They can, they can be like ominous clouds that portend the coming of a, of a storm. Or lots of acorns might be a sign of a long winter. Sunshine on Groundhog's Day for some people can be a sign that there are several more weeks of harsh winter. Now, the Bible is full of a, a lot of signs. Some of these signs serve as a witness or testimony, like the rainbow that we read about in the book of Genesis. The rainbow was given to Noah as a, as a sign of God's promise that God would not destroy the earth with a flood, as was done before. The Sabbath, the celebration of the Sabbath, one of the one of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses and the people of Israel. The Sabbath was given as a sign of God's covenant with the people of Israel. In the time of Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees, they demanded a sign. They wanted a sign to serve as proof that Jesus was the Messiah. But Jesus said he wasn't going to give them such a sign. He wasn't going to give them a sign that would constitute proof the only sign that he would give them, he said, would be the sign of Jonah. That was his sign. And his sign was, was meant to 
to indicate that like Jonah was in the, the belly of that great fish for three days and was eventually belched out on the shores of Nineveh, so Jesus would, would die on a cross and be in the grave for three days and rise again. In John's gospel, signs are avenues of faith. They're, they're ways to get closer to God, to come closer in faith to God, ways to help people believe. Jesus tells a man who comes to him on behalf of his dying son, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. He realizes that it's, it's kind of a human condition that, that we want to see signs. We want some sort of direction. So in John's gospel, Jesus provides these signs one after another. He does that by performing miracles. He turns water into wine. He heals that official son that had come to him earlier. He heals a paralytic. He feeds 5,000 hungry people with five loaves and two fish. He walks on water and heals a blind man. He raises Lazarus from the dead and eventually he rises from the dead himself. All of these were signs for Jesus. They were meant to move people toward faith. He does all of this so that people might believe who he is. Not to prove who he is, but to show who he is. To give evidence of what God was doing in Christ. When the angel appears to the shepherds, the angel is saying something important is going to happen. And this is going to tell us all who Jesus is. This will be a sign for you, the angel says. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. Now this was not the sign that people were expecting. They were looking for a warrior. They were looking for someone wearing soldier's armor, riding a chariot perhaps, leading an army, a fix-it man if you will. So often that's the kind of savior we're all looking for. We want, we want a king. We want someone to fix our problems. The people in, in that early days of Bethlehem, they were not looking for a child wrapped in baby's clothes. They weren't looking for an infant that would be placed in the eating trough of animals, a manger. For much of the world that night in Bethlehem, they did not see the sign of a Savior. Although there were signs all around, they didn't see it. They, they misinterpreted the sign. They saw a simple birth in a, in a poor family of little consequence. Signs can be misread. They can be misinterpreted. They can be missed altogether. We often look for the big flashy signs, the, the ones with the neon lights. We look for wars to be canceled and poverty banished and illness eradicated. We want hatred defeated. We want the world to be turned into some kind of perfect sphere, a utopia, if you will. And we miss the sign of Jonah. We miss the sign of a God who comes to live among us to die like we die, but to die for the sins of the world. 
and to rise again on the third day. The angel says, if you want to see God, look in the poverty of a stable or a cave among common shepherds and carpenters and young maidens without a home. That's where you'll find Jesus. Look for signs of his presence in the little places among the little people. In 1885, the Russian author Leo Tolstoy wrote a short story called Where Love Is, God Is. It was made into a claymation movie in 1977 by Will Benton called Martin the Cobbler. The movie begins with Martin in his workshop. He is despondent. He At this point in his life, he's simply living for his work. You see, his oldest child and his wife had died years before when he was a young man, leaving him to raise a baby by himself. When the boy grew old enough to help him in his shop, even this boy died of an illness. And so now Martin was left alone as far as he knew, in the world. One day a holy man brings Martin a Bible to repair. But Martin says to the holy man, I I can't do this, I'm not worthy. He knows what he's feeling. He knows about his own depression. But the holy man insists and leaves the Bible with him and goes on his way, promising to return to pick up the repaired Bible. That night, Martin sits at his workbench and he reads the Bible that the holy man had left. And in this Bible, he finds a story about a rich man that treats Jesus poorly after inviting him to dinner. And Martin says to himself, I would never treat the Lord the way this man has done. I, I would certainly be much more welcoming. He's appalled. Martin falls asleep, and he has a dream. And in that dream, a voice calls out to him, Martin, Martin, look out into the street tomorrow, for I shall come. When Martin awakens the next morning at his bench, he interprets that voice in his dream to be that of God. And the Lord is saying to Martin that he is going to come and visit with him. He is to look out into the street and wait for the coming of the Lord. And that's exactly what he does. His workshop is in the basement and so his windows are really right at street level. But as he works at his bench, he constantly finds himself looking up through that window as he observed the passing of of footsteps along the snow-covered village street. One of the footsteps happens to be that of Stepanich, a friend of his. Martin notices that he's cold, he's, he's shivering, he's wearing boots to make it through the snow, but his, his coverings don't seem to be adequate. And so Martin runs to his door and invites Stepanich in. Invites him to sit at his his desk and 
he gives him some hot tea. He tells his friend about his dream, and Stepanich wishes him well as he leaves Martin's shop. Martin continues to look out the window, and eventually he sees a young woman carrying an infant in her arms. She has no covering at all. She's trying to cover the child as best as she can, but she too shivers as Stepanich was doing earlier. Martin runs to his door and he opens and he calls to the young woman and he tells her to come in and warm herself by the fire. As she, she sits there with her child, he looks over on, on the wall and he notices the shawl of his wife who had passed away so many years before. The shawl that she had used to cover their two young children. She, Martin stands and goes to the wall and he grabs the shawl and he, he takes it to the young woman and he gives it to her. He says, here, take this. Warm yourself and your child. Eventually, after she has gained enough strength and warmth from the fire, she goes on her way. The day moves on and it becomes late afternoon. Martin is still looking out the window, still waiting for the Lord to come and visit him. He notices an old woman with a basket full of apples shuffling along the snow-covered street. And he also notices a little boy that comes up behind her and snatches one of her apples. She, in turn, swirls around and grabs the boy by his arm and she begins to yell at the boy. Martin runs to his door and runs out into the street and calls on the woman to be calm that that he himself, Martin, would pay for the apple. The boy needed direction. He, He needed instruction. He did not need the anger of the woman. The woman took his money, Martin's money, and and let's go of the boy. When Martin returns to his shop and looks back out the window, he sees now that the young boy has taken the basket of the woman and is walking beside her, carrying her load. The day finally comes to an end. As far as Martin is concerned, the Lord did not come. He is dejected and ever more despondent. He falls asleep at his bench, and in a vision, the three people reappear to Martin. First Stepanich, then the young mother, and then the old woman. And each one says in turn as they appear, in his dream, it is I, Martin, it is I. You can almost hear Jesus saying to Martin in this dream, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. You see, the Lord had indeed come to Martin that day 
Each person who came to him was a sign, a sign of God's presence. There are signs all around us of God's presence. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote, Earth's crammed with heaven, every bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. If you look closely around you this evening, tomorrow, or the tomorrows that are yet to come, you will see signs of God's hand at work in your life. It simply depends on the way you interpret the signs. The angel said to the shepherds, and I believe the angel says to us, this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. I think the angel forgot to say that it will take faith to interpret that sign as a sign of God's loving, forgiving presence. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would come to us in the darkness of our living. Shed your light on the circumstances that surround us and reveal to us the signs that you give to us, that you are real, that you are alive, and you are with us. Amen.